Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the No Bad Dogs podcast. I hope that you guys are well. This is a first ever, never done before podcast thing that I'm trying here. Uh, So we have the No Bad Dog Members Club, uh, which is essentially uh, you pay to to see all of my full-length content. You guys see it on YouTube. It's 10 minutes and it's actually, we film for hours. And so, um, and then you have access to my trainers and stuff like that. Anyway, we do a live once a week. It's a Q and a with me, this particular live, in my opinion, was really, uh, good. Lots of really good new questions. And I really dove deep into something, uh, that I think is actually that I know is going to be very helpful for you guys, you listeners at home. One of the biggest topics, and it's actually towards the end of the podcast is about, uh, somebody, they they split up with their partner, they left their house, um, they got a new apartment, their dog has social anxiety, and she, there's this whole thing that she sent her dog away for board and train, it didn't help, uh, and we, we talk a lot about um, the successes and the things that, you know, the, the real reason why dogs misbehave, the real reason why dogs don't listen, the real reason why dogs create certain behaviors and act a certain way and outside of genetical dispositions uh, at scale as a general statement um, I I go deep into this and I and I was gonna th- I was gonna say well why don't I just read say that in a podcast with my microphone and blah 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 and then I was like well I don't know if I could do it as good it was live it was organic um, and so I I downloaded our live session that we did via Zoom with my members, and I'm actually putting it here in my podcast. So it's not going to be as high quality as you're hearing right now. Um, However, it is really good, valuable information. So I'm answering the members club questions. And at the end of the the podcast, I'm going to be answering your dog training questions. So make sure you guys
guys go over to the iTunes review chart and leave your dog training questions in the review. Again, this is something brand new. Um, if you guys like it, um, I guess let me know somehow. But um, I appreciate every single person out there for listening. And we're going to get into the podcast. And remember, listen to the end, and I'll answer your dog training questions. And if for some reason this this is all new to you with uh, the members club, you can click the link to join the members club to to support the movement as well as get a ton of extra stuff. So hope you guys enjoy this and we'll talk to you at the end. Hope you guys are doing well. I'm going to pull up your questions here. Uh, for those of you who have never been to a live with me in the members club, it's pretty simple. It's just, I'm going to be answering the questions that you guys put in the feed when we announce the live. And I'm going to go through as many as I can fit within the hour. Usually that's all of them. Um, a lot of like redundant or questions that we cover every time is typically just referred out uh, to um, some of the content we already have out just to save some time. So we're going to get started. Let's say here. All right. First one is from Christina. Hey, Tom, I have a question. My new dog, Winston, is still reactive. I have done the leash pops, but he falls down. Um, I think what you should do is um, figure out maybe a, an alternative way to help him deal with some of his insecurities that's causing him to be reactive. So don't focus so much on the corrections simply because the corrections are not working for you. And I would be focusing on figuring out why the corrections or why the dog is reactive in the first place. So instead of if I correct him, he fall down because it's not always a simple and easy solution of if a dog is reactive or misbehaving, we correct them and then they get over it. Although that is a lot of people's roadmaps because it is, typically like a very easy thing to get over once a dog realizes that that behavior is inappropriate. But if you have a dog that maybe has insecurities naturally or genetically and, or, um, has, has more, there's more to it than just not knowing what to do. Um, then you're going to have to dig a little bit deeper and figuring out why the dog is reactive in the first place. And that's my recommendation is to dig a little bit deeper on, why these things are happening instead of just trying to correct it. Because uh, sometimes it is deeper than that. Sometimes it's not. You guys have seen me countless times um, do that. You know, certain dogs, they come in and they just don't know what to do. They get corrected for the first time and then they <clears throat> fall into place. And we are allowed to teach them to learn at that point. Um, but it's not all the time. So I would just say that I would dig a little bit deeper on why the reaction is happening because obviously the corrections aren't working. So Melissa, how do you recommend building confidence in a two-year-old German shepherd? Um, confidence is something that uh, we just covered uh, on one of, the, um, uh, one of the things we did for our company. But anyway, confidence is um, exactly what it is for humans is uh, a dog going out and saying like, Hey, life is scary. The things around me are scary and you're helping them along the way. It's not so scary. Why don't you come over here? Why don't you go into a sit? Hey, here's a piece of food. Good job. Break, be a dog, sniff, go around, uh, you know, and do whatever you want to do. So confidence comes in many different ways because 
confidence is also one of those things that you got to remember if you're asking, you know, a person like, Hey, how do you build confidence in a person? You have to figure out what their insecurities are first to build confidence with them. So, um, confidence, unfortunately, isn't a necessarily a general thing. Uh, so it's hard to answer in general. However, I would say that confidence comes from you teaching the dog that whatever they're afraid of or the causes of why they're insecure or have lack of confidence, your job is to build them back up. So if a dog is afraid of um, the greats that they see in the city and they don't want to walk over those things, that's something that they're they're naturally instinctually saying that's different, that's weird, it's uncomfortable, I don't want to do it, but we know that it's not something to really be afraid of. Um, and so, yeah, you can always walk around them forever, or you can focus on exactly what it is that they're insecure about. So confidence uh, at scale is, is, again, a very generalized blanket uh, statement, but getting out and do and working with your dog will build confidence. Your dog is probably insecure because they don't know what to do. They don't have a job. They don't feel secure. They need something to take their mind off of wherever it's wandering to. So your job is to go out and give them something to do. So if you have a job, if you have a dog that is a little bit fearful and insecure and um, what, yeah, fearful and insecure, your job isn't to say like, how do I get this to be confident? It's to build steps up just like with the person. If you have an insecure person, it's not just like, Hey, snap out of it. It's not so bad. You have to develop them up over weeks, months, and even years sometimes. So I think my suggestion is you have a German shepherd that's insecure, try to figure out where the insecurity is coming from in order to help with the problem because insecurity isn't a disease that is just a blanket like my dog's cold well how do you make a cold dog not cold is you warm them up and so if your dog is insecure there's so many different avenues that that could go down it could be genetics it could be um ptsd it could be environmentals it could be all of the above so you know there's there's a lot of different things on how to make that better um but Essentially, you just want to help your dog understand that the things that they're afraid of aren't so scary by walking them through the process of exposing their fears. Kimberly, hi, Tom. I have a dog treat e-collar that I swear for training and off-leash work. I have only ever had to use the page option. My big boy, Bullet, who is six years old and is a boxer, Great Pyrenees staffy mix, can and does completely ignore me when he is done with training. His attitude is, I don't look at you, then I don't have to listen to you. He knows the look command. We keep our training session short for about 10 to 15 minutes. Bullet is not food or to toy motivated. Affection has a reward, works only for a little part of time, but it's not high enough value for him. Is it possible and or wise to use the stimulation portion of the doctor collar for training purposes, at least to get his attention? I have tested mine. Um, if I do start with a lower level, I can't feel it. Um, we are struggling with place. He knows he knows it, but more often refuses to do it. So I have I don't ever use the pager for conditioning. So I kind of have a different <clears throat> I have a different um, 
uh, outlook on this because I never use the pager for conditioning dogs because mainly because the pagers that I use would be under the Tom Davis dog Shura 280C collars. And the pager for those collars are particularly intense. And I don't use them for anything other than trying to deactivate some sort of unnecessary build or reaction. So if a dog is reacting or starting to react, I may use it to diverge them, to calm them down, to give them an opportunity to soak in information around them instead of make a bad decision to go crazy. Um, so it's hard for me to answer this question only because your training is completely started off completely different from what I would recommend. Um, but if the question is, can you use the stimulation to get your dog's attention if they are ignoring the pager, the answer is yes. That's my short answer um, because the pager doesn't have any levels. Uh, I don't really know um, what collar you have from Dogtra because again, Dogtra probably has 15 different units and they're all drastically different uh, or they can be. Some of them are similar. Some of them are drastically different. So I don't really know what unit you're using. And if you've never done stimulation training, you'd have to start from scratch. So um, my, my advice is to start from scratch with the remote collar, but to answer your question, um, you can definitely use the remote collar to get your dog's attention off leash. That's kind of the point. Um, you do have some pitfalls with using just the pager because it doesn't have any up and down. It's just one level and, uh, you're seeing the the kind of the pitfalls and the, the downsides to using the pager for that versatility reason. So you just have to start from scratch to um, reassociate the remote collar and, and use it off leash properly. So it's a good question, but Kim Francis. Hey Tom, I've been watching you, your videos for a long time. Thanks for all that you have done and the owners. I would like to know if there's footage we can watch on the members club of you working at the shelters. Um, I'd like to see you getting them out of their cages, especially the fearful dogs. Yeah, we have multiple on there. Um, specifically on, I know for sure we have the the one that we did at um, uh, the the one that we did in Massachusetts, Sanami or Sensami or whatever the can't say the name, uh, but that is on YouTube. I don't know if we ever cut it down for uncut. Um, I have footage of me, I think at, um, at, uh, KC pet project, getting dogs out. Um, there's a lot of footage on that. Um, so yeah, uh, there is, uh, you just have to find it, uh, on the thing, but I don't think that there's any in the members club just because, we haven't, we, we don't do a lot of them. Um, when I, when I break away and do them, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's not, it's not as common as my other training. So, but yeah, anyway, I don't have, I don't have anything else unless somebody else has context of, of that uh, or, um, uh, re referrals to that. Cheryl Stratton. Hey, how do I know what level to start my e-collar training? I don't see any reaction from him as I raise my levels. I can slightly feel it at six. I have gone above 
this with Boondock and see no reaction. He's a Fort Simeon GSD training. So Cheryl, this is one of those things that um, I'm going to refer to my e-collar course because training the dog properly on the remote collar can take up to two to three weeks. And there is a considerable amount of variables um, right off the bat. Um, what kind of collar do you have? Boom. I, have, I, I don't know anything about what collar you're using. Um, and that makes a significant difference in the collar training that you're doing. Um, but again, like there's a bunch of nuances and there's a, a great deal of variables that go into the introduction of the remote collar that I've broken down um, a great deal in the course. Um, so my recommendation is to check that out because you're not seeing any reactions from the dog because you're not supposed to. <clears throat> so I think there's just a fundamental thing. Like, I don't, um, I don't think it would be um, as valuable for my time to go over the entire e-collar uh, process and how I introduce it again here, just because I've, I've done it, but I also have a course uh, to refer to. And that's what I was saying in the beginning of the conversations. There's going to be some conversations that um, I can't get into because it's a two, three hour conversation. And not only that, but I've created content specifically around um, that particular um, thing. But but to answer your question, Cheryl, like I, I have no problem answering e-collar questions. It's just, I, there's, there's a fundamental like whole principle of what remote collar training is to me, what the foundation should be, where should you start? I mean, all of those things take a considerable amount of time that I just don't think would be beneficial to the group to go over again. My, I highly recommend, I have, I don't know, probably five to seven different uh, introductions on the remote collar on my YouTube channel for free. I also have several uh, podcasts on the introduction to remote collars for free. And then of course I do have my full e-collar introduction from start to finish for purchase uh, as well. So uh, Elaine, Elena H, I'm wondering about how to increase durations with downstays. My dog can do a stay for two to three minutes, but when she decides to get up, I put her back into a stay. She gets up immediately. My thought would be to have her do stays increasingly amount of time. Do you have any more tips? I need her to be able to stay for about an hour in a stretch. And I realize that may take a lot of time and I'm not sure how to, about a, how, how to go about that. Also, if she does get up before I release her. So I think, um, you know, my answer is, it's going to come down to what are you doing when she decides to get up and walk away? That typically is going to be the breaking point of how to get a dog to, to understand that they have to stay for a longer period of time. So just like with any obedience, it doesn't matter if it's a downstay or a place downstay or a, or a sit. If we put them into a behavior that they know fairly well, but extending that behavior past a certain duration that they are unfamiliar with, A, you have to hold, you have to keep them there and hold them accountable because if they get off and you put them back, the reason why your dog is immediately getting back off is because they've hit their duration of what they're comfortable with doing as a downstay. And there is absolutely zero nil, none goose egg punishment for getting off. And I don't mean punishment in the sense of, you know, a prong call or an e-call or anything like that. Remember, we have to um, understand the definition of what, a, what punishment is, but it, there has to be some sort of consequence the moment your dog gets up and tries to walk off. 
because you're basically taking a problem that it's the same equivalent to a dog owner that has a puppy that they're trying to teach to stay to. And they say, my dog won't stay on here for a long period of time. And typically it's because they haven't seen the picture big enough yet in order to understand that they're supposed to stay there for a longer period of time. And because you're getting up and you're walking away or you're leaving the room, the moment your dog decides to get up and leave, the correction or punishment involved during that exact moment is not timely enough for the dog to capture what they're doing is wrong or what they're doing is a mistake and or what they're doing is something that you would not like them to do. You want them to stay there for a longer period of time. So when you're building out duration, um, I think that it's the most benefit to the dog is you have to hang out there for a certain amount of time in order for them to understand. So right now you're like, I want my dog to stay for an hour. And after two or three minutes, the dog decides to get up. So those are water and oil. Those are completely two separate things. And so before you have the expectation of having the dog to stay for even five minutes, you need to absolutely master the idea that the stay is going to be longer than two to three minutes or even five minutes. Um, so I think uh, part of this has to do with your reward systems and the balance of teaching the dog when it's appropriate for them to get off clearly and when not to. So if you have a dog in a downstay and you get up and then you leave the picture and they're like, you know what, I'm going to get up and I'm going to start walking off. The moment the dog gets up to start walking off, there has to be some sort of punishment or pressure right there to say, nope, 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 right? And of course, when we talk about that punishment system, specifically with your voice, it has to historically, um, the only thing that's really been successful has been enforcement behind that. So if you tell your dog, hey, leave it, but you've never enforced it to a point where your dog actually cares. For an example, telling a dog uh -uh, when they're wearing a harness, typically they pay no mind to what you're saying because the enforcement it doesn't provide enough. It doesn't provide enough marketing to the dog to say like, hey, this isn't appropriate. You don't want to do this anymore. Um, it's really just nagging them. So there's, there's a lot to it other than just giving you like those tips. Um, but again, if you're trying to go from your dog not being able to do it for two to three minutes and ideally wanting to do it for an hour, obviously you have um, a big stretch in between in order to get that done. But again, I think that your corrections and your punishment have to be timely so the dog knows exactly what they're doing is wrong. So as they get up, they stretch their legs and before they step off, ah, 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 nope, boom, put them right back, walk, walk away, give them an opportunity to um, you know, do the right thing and then paying them, um, to some degree. So, um, if she gets up before I release her, how should you handle that? My opinion is, is your obedience, you're asking, uh, you're asking too much. You're asking your dog to do something that they're not prepared for. Um, because if they were prepared, they wouldn't be getting up so much. So I think you're like going from A to J and you have A to B to C to D, et cetera. All of that in between is something that you're not, it's just not there. The foundation isn't there. If it was there, you wouldn't, uh, honestly wouldn't be dealing with these problems. Your dog would understand that when you say down, it's down, especially under a very controlled context like this. Um, putting your dog into a place downstay is like, you know, one of the easiest things to do in regards to uh, like um, 
a realistic setup, right? So sometimes like if we're out and we're downtown at a city and there's people and there's cars and there's dogs and there's bicycles and there's things going on and we tell our dog to sit, stay, that environment is obviously a little bit more challenging. But when we're talking about this, I just think that you increasing the amount of time um, you, you have to kind of walk your dog through these situations, which could be, you have to stay in the room and really teach. And I think for most dogs, I don't think it's the expectation of you staying in the room until an hour until you hit that point. I just don't think right now, the biggest thing that you're missing is when you're just two things is when you're, when your dog gets up to walk away, they don't know that that is, is not good. They don't know that that's inappropriate. They don't know that that's wrong in the downstay. And also, I think the other big thing is, is when they do decide to say, hey, I'm bored, I'm walking out of here, there is not a, an adequate or an effective enough correction or pressure or punishment, however you want to look at it, in order for them to have this thing in their brain, right? We all have that thing in the brain of like, do I want to go 80 miles per hour because I'm running late or should I stay 75 because it's safe and I don't want to get pulled over and get a ticket because then I'll be really late. There's always this filter in our brain as human beings as we work through life that has consequences on the back of the brain. We don't live in a fairy tale world where consequences isn't a part of our life. Every single day, there's consequences a part of my life. For an example, they could be things from, again, uh, huge consequences um, by being, being scammed or by touching a really hot pan and being burned, or they could be minor consequences of hey, I'm going to grab a water to go live to talk to the members club. Should I grab a bubbling sparkling water or should I grab a flat water? Well, the last time I grabbed a sparkling bubble water, I burped the entire live and it wasn't pleasant probably for you guys. So my point is, is every single thing that we do has a reflection on uh, a consequence. Rather, we, un we, if we break it down, these are the things that we think about in our heads that allows us to make rational uh, decisions. And so with your dog, uh, if they are looking around and they go, mom's gone, I'm pretty bored. I'm going to get up and walk away. At what point throughout their training and their process, have they ever been effectively punished for getting off, even though they know the behavior that they did was wrong? And that's what it comes down to. And that's the lifestyle, realistic training that um, I think a lot of you can relate to. And a lot of other people uh, can relate to. It's like, oh, that makes sense. You know, we can, but what you're, the reason why you're not extending the stay and the reason why you're actually not progressing is because you're doing what a lot of people make a mistake of doing is we aren't giving the dog any consequences for uh, doing something that the dog knows well, right? Uh, breaking something that the dog knows well not to. So as soon as your dog says, you know what, I really don't want to do this, but I know you want me to stay and they walk away. The only thing that we're doing is we're picking them up, we're putting them back, we're picking them up and putting them back, picking them up and putting them back. So, I mean, I, I don't think, I, mean, I think we can all agree that collectively um, the definition of insanity is, is, is likely doing the same thing over and over again and expecting the different result. And that's what that will get you. The dog walks off, we put them back. The dog walks off, we put them back. Not correcting them and assertively stopping them and say, hey, that is not okay. You can't get off there until I release you. You're gonna get in trouble. If we don't have that, then the dog will never learn. Or at least it would be extremely hard for the dog to learn. You put him back, you put him back, you put him back, you put him back. You try again, you try again. It would be the equivalent to if you were to try to hit, uh, you know, try to master like cornhole 
or, um, or what do they call the horseshoes or even hitting a baseball is you have your, your, you know, I, I can just always remember, you know, when I'm playing cornholes, I don't throw it far enough. I don't put enough ump into it. I put too much ump into it and you dial it in. You're trying to learn how to dial it and how to, how to make it really good. But if I just did the same thing over and over again, I threw it the same, 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 I threw it the same. It's going to land in the same spot every time. Your dog gets off, we put them back. Your dog gets off, we put them back. If you're not correcting, right? Correcting is changing what you're doing for a different result. And that's what I would do is I threw the beanbag and it flew over the board. Well, I'm going to correct the way that I throw that. I'm going to give less umph, less power behind it. So it lands hopefully in the circle or around the circle because that's how you get points. And that correction is what's going to help dial that in. And um, yeah, I mean, I know it's a little deep dive, but that's really what the deal is. And that just really goes for anybody that's dealing with, hmm, you know, look at Moki. Um, Moki, the, the border collie that came in my, my, my last full length upload, that was, a, that was an individual, Andy, shout out to him, is he did, um, he tried to use positive reinforcement to correct his dog's behavior, which of course is like, um, I don't have to explain, but it doesn't make any sense at all. And he did it for, I think, three, two or three years. And then he finally came in, we corrected the dog, and he was able to do things he's never been able to do within 48 hours because of his corrections and his changes. So he was throwing the beanbag over the thing and over the thing and over the thing. And he's like, um, honey, this isn't working over the thing and over the thing and over the thing. And it's like, you're wasting your time, buddy. And then he ended up going to somebody and they said, hey, you just need to do less umph. He corrected what he was doing and he got results. Oh, now I'm on the board. Oh, now it's in the hole because he corrected exactly what he was doing. So hopefully that makes sense. Heather, hi, Tom. I have a two-year-old German Shepherd who is active in dog sports. She is fixed. I use a Garmin 550 as an e-collar. However, she leaks drive. Um, uh, really bad in the truck in her kennel while waiting to be worked. Does the whole high-pitched prey bark at the bark mode and the bark mode isn't deterring her? So using the bark collar function on the garment isn't deterring her. I'd like her to save her drive for club and events instead of leaking so much of beforehand. Is there a training tactic I would I could work on to try to tone down the leaking of her drive? Um, I, I think honestly, Heather is, is trying to park in a location that she's not going to sit there and watch a bunch of other dogs do things that she really wants to do is probably the only realistic advice I could give you. Um, because realistically, uh, you get a dog that comes in and is very, 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 um, drivey to go and do a certain thing that they do at a certain place. And then you park your truck and she can hear all these things happening and she can do all these things. Uh, it's normal for dogs to kind of sound off in the car and exert themselves in, in the crate where we don't really want them to. And they kind of wind themselves up. Um, I think it's inevitable. I think it's fair. You know, it's like standing outside of Disney Disney World and it's your favorite place in the whole world. You're, you're naturally just going to give off this energy before you even get in. So my recommendation realistically is not try to correct her out of this because we actually have developed her to be obsessed with these things. And I find that it takes a considerable, considerable amount of training and conditioning and genetic disposition to get a dog calm in these environments. And in my experience working with pet owners, 
um, who not necessarily has had working dogs their whole life. Um, they typically will get their dogs riled up, um, especially when they're puppies. They want their dog to be this like really barky, like killer of a dog, which is fine. Um, but then when we go and we park them into the field to work and they lose their mind in the truck, you can't really complain about these things either. So again, I, I, I'm not saying by any means, shape or form that you've done these things. I'm just saying that that's just my experience. We're like, yeah, get excited, get crazy, get excited, get crazy, get excited, get crazy, be this beast, be this beast, be this beast, be this beast. We pull up and all these things are happening. The dog's like, I'm ready to be a beast. And we're like, Hey, please be quiet. It's not going to work. So it takes um, a considerable amount of uh, fundamental um, imprinting in the beginning to have a dog be calm under those situations, which is, you know, in my opinion, in my experience is what has separated dogs from getting from level one to level two to level three is just their ability to turn things down when they need to. Um, that's my honest uh, opinion is to avoid uh, parking this dog around these environments until uh, they're ready. Um, and also maybe getting her out and having her work just a little bit on a tug um, to get her to, to, you know, like that's just been my experiences with clubs. There's usually a parking lot and there's a field that they work in. And if your dog is going to get there and basically exhaust herself completely in the kennel before she comes out, it might be beneficial for you to um, again, park literally in a different place or park further away um, or get her out and just work on focused healing and paying her and um, getting her to exude, exude that like some of that energy, but not sit there like rocking the crate the whole time. So it's my recommendations. Christian Schofield, hey Tom, my question concerns prey drive and how to rebuild what my three-year-old GSD had for tugs. It seems to have become less intense last winter when the ice and weather affected our walk and our break engagement time. She will also not play hard indoors on hardwood floors, but shows enthusiasm on carpets. Um, yeah, I think um, it's natural, you know, basically if you have a dog that has slipped before playing tug, um, they're naturally not going to want to play tug and get crazy uh, in an environment that they may slip in because they don't like slipping and there's nothing that you can do other than put them into the grass or put them into the carpet or put them into environments where they're not going to be slippery. Um, it, that's just one thing that is very hard for dogs to get past you know it's a natural thing for them if they just like with us like if we if we walk outside and all of a sudden we almost break our ass and we slip like this and we can see this sheet of ice in front of us we're not just going to walk ahead like it's it's the middle of the summer and the pavement's hot enough to cook on we're going to be guarded we're going to be very cautious we're going to be very like okay i don't want to fall i want to protect myself and animals are no different so um there's not much you can do about that um, at all, because this uh, question here and this information is completely predicated off of the environment of what the dog is playing on and their insecurities about playing on slick sur surfaces, which I don't blame um, the dog at all because they fell before and that's what dogs do. That's how they keep that. Again, it's a perfect example of consequence, right? The dog fell once because they lost their grip or they lost their footing. And now they're like, I won't do that again. That's a consequence. That is some degree, some degree of um, punishment, but obviously not uh, not directed punishment towards an individual. It was punishment for making a decision under certain circumstances. 
and they learned from that. That's natural for dogs to do. Um, some people don't understand that, uh, unfortunately, but um, yeah. So Cheryl Bott, I have an 18 month old blind American miniature shepherd, American miniature shepherd. I've never heard that in my life. Anyway, maybe miniature, I, miniature, no, I, I've never heard an American miniature shepherd ever. I would be, I have to look up what that is. American, there's so many, uh, miniature shepherd. Okay, so it's like an Aussie, but not. Miniature American Shepherd, wow. So it's like an Australian Shepherd, but American. So interesting. And it's mini. Well, now I know. Okay. Anyway, uh, she's fixed and kennel trained and stays with the door open and will place, but I'm 69 and getting her to walk on a leash in an organized manner is challenging. She constantly walks into me. I am fearful that she will trip me. And it shows in this exercise, looking for tips. Um, you're not really worried about her pulling. You're actually worried more about her running into you. So my recommendation is um, just using some sort of collar that allows you to add um, pressure, uh, minimal pressure to get the dog's body to move a little bit. So a collar that has action. In my head, I would probably start with just like a nicely fitted slip leash um, or a slip collar. Uh, that way when she kind of merges into you, you can pull her out and give her a little bit of pressure. If she's 18 months old, um, you know, she's, she's old and she's mature. She's old enough. She's, she's not a puppy anymore. Um, yeah, that's what I would use is I would just like use a lot of positive reinforcement with your voice um, to use your leash. So if I'm walking with her and she bumps, nope, just give her a little bit of pressure, kind of like an wrong, errant, wrong. And then when she's walking nicely, we'll reward her for that. Um, yeah, I mean, that's what I would say. I mean, um, if you're 69 years old and you have a younger little working dog, um, I'm just going to reread your, you know, your question here is, uh, she is, and is the way, the way you put it is funny. She's unorganized on the leash and she walks into me. And so like, I just think that you have to teach her with your leash, what's appropriate and what's not, you're not going to be able to take a younger dog and, you know, they're going to slow down and walk at your pace and just kind of lollygag around. I mean, she's, she's, She's a shepherd and she's um, younger and she's, you know, she's going to be like Lottie Dottie out there. Like, Hey, what's over here? What's over here? What's this? What's that? What's that? And you just have to use your leash to kind of keep her in line. So um, yeah, it's not, I don't think that's a huge task. I think you could probably get that done within a week. I would just say that um, the success of this is going to count on, your control and what collar you decide to use because every dog is going to be uh, is going to respond differently to to different tools you know like some dogs are some dogs yield to pressure um, a lot differently than others and so by adding a little bit of pressure with one collar you know they may not care about it but she's small enough I think just kind of keeping her in line 
Um, these are all really good questions, by the way. Um, I'm really liking these questions. These are all new questions, which is nice uh, for the most part so far. But um, yeah, but just use your leash. I mean, I'm just I'm just like breaking things down. Is like, hey, I'm out with my dog and she's walking into me. And my rebuttal is is to use your leash to kind of teach her like that's nope. And it's not, you know, again, like we can, the, we have to define these things. I think as we talk about them and I've, I think I've made a, I, not made a mistake, but I've, I, I think that the general public has made some, um, some false uh, opinions on maybe some of my training because my definitions for certain things are different from everyone else's. But when we talk about corrections and punishment and pressure, all of those things, um, to some, somebody else's correction and punishment could be um, turning an e-collar on 100 and nailing a dog. And for me, that has it, I could just look at my dog and that's a correction. I could look at my dog and say something and that's enough pressure for her to go, oh, done. Okay, I'm walking away from this. Um, like I have a pretty good communication with my dog. I'm like, hey, get out of here, right? So she walks into my son's room and he's like trying to crawl or something and she wants to come in and lick everybody's face. Uh, I'm, I'm like, Hey, get out of here. You know, that's, that's, that's pressure, right? I'm like, I'm pressuring you out of the room. Uh, it's also compulsion, right? So, uh, compulsion by definition is to tell an animal and, or force an animal to do something, um, outside of something that they want to do. It's forcibly telling an animal to do something they do not want to do. That is compulsion. And, um, I, I think again, the dog training community has uh, compulsion as, uh, a very abusive, inhumane uh, identity, which may, it could be at some degree, but my dog walks into the room to say, hey, I want to see you guys. And I'm like, you just ate your raw food and you're not licking my baby's face. So you have to leave. And I'm making her get out of the room. That's compulsion. That's pressure. So just remember, Cheryl, I guess, and anybody else that's here that's new or anybody else in the future that's watching this, um, compulsion, corrections, pressure, by my definition, is to simply teach to, to, to tell the animal that that is inappropriate. It doesn't have any ties with tools or pain or anything else like that. Uh, and I just wanna be clear. And I also want to kind of protect myself, I guess, moving forward of what I'm saying. I don't know, cause you might be watching somebody else that says, correct the dog. And then they take a prong and they, you know, nail a dog. And that's not what I'm saying to you, uh, Cheryl. I'm just saying, use a little bit of pressure, move the dog away from you. They slide into position. Yes, good heel. Um, so. Nikki M. Hello. First of all, thank you. Since I've been following you, I've learned a lot. I'm convinced that I have been following you since I was little. <laughs> I wouldn't be in a situation now. I'm Mickey and we have a St. Bernard. He's almost three years old. I personally can no longer take him for a walk. One of the boys takes him and he's reactive to people, but especially to other dogs. The neighbors now have three dogs and he's always tried to go through their fence. It's a real circus uh, when everyone is outside. We are in Sweden and I can't use a prong collar or an e-collar. Um, I don't know what else to do. Well, this, this is where, you know, the unfortunate uh, bans in different countries uh, limits dog owners extremely because you have a, you know, 100 pound plus dog, if not more. I've seen St. Bernard's get well over 200 pounds and you basically have a piece of string to control them. And if they have the genetic disposition and or a taut uh, aggression towards other dogs, um, there's no type of training that you can do to say, hey, I don't want you to care about these dogs. Um, a lot of the cases we have to do, unfortunately, is management or compulsion um, and getting them to stop uh, trying to go after other dogs can be a challenge when you're using a piece of string on a dog that can pull your car. So, um, you know, my recommendation to you, Mickey, is, is, to, is to use uh, a slip leash or a slip collar that, that fits nicely. Um, 
and to develop, like you have to blend in. Um, you have to, cause there's a lot of, again, tools, you guys is like, it's the same thing when we talk about, Hey, you know, Tom, you're the best contractor in building houses and you've done it a thousand times. And I want to learn how to build a house. And if you said, I live in an area in the world where we don't have, um, we don't have, uh, screw guns and we don't have anything electric. We have, to, that doesn't mean you can't build the house. Of course you can, cause we've been doing it for a long time now. It just helps. Right. So that's important to understand too, guys, is um, the tools are going to help you. Absolutely. They're going to make your life easier. It's going to be more effective. It's going to be more clear for your dog. Um, but if you can't use tools because of your country's ban of them or whatever the case may be, just understand that you can still train a dog. It's just, it, you know, it's the same thing. Like, hey, man, can we build a house with a hammer and a nails and stucco and mud and um, some hardworking humans. Yeah, they they did it for hundreds of thousands of years before that. So, of course, and even today, you know, people put together houses without power tools and electricity and saws and all that stuff. So anyway, um, the answer uh, would be, you know, you have to blend in because if your dog doesn't like other dogs, there's nothing that we can, nobody can do anything about that, right? There's no training, there's no secret pill, there's no magic, there's no amount of whatever. Your dog doesn't like dogs. My St. Bernard Thompson, same thing. He did not like dogs. There's nothing anybody could do to say, Hey, I want you to like dogs. He was just didn't like dogs. Um, but my obedience was, um, really tight with him so I can control him. And, um, of course, having the ability to use a prong collar, if my 165 pound dog wanted to go after something was helpful, uh, cause I didn't have to hang on. I just flicked my wrist and he backed down. Um, but my suggestion is to get a really nice fitted prong, uh, um, slip collar and you have to blend in, um, with some of these other dogs in order to help your dog understand how to coexist around these dogs using, again, you can still use punishment and corrections and things like that. And then also blending in your positive reinforcement. The only problem with this Nikki is the simple fact of the variable you can't control, which of course are your neighbor's dogs. So if you want to go outside and work on controlling your dog around other dogs and the other dogs are losing their mind. Uh, it's not a realistic or fair situation to put you or your dog in because that's kind of like the oh crap level at that point. And you have to be um, very mindful of that. And so um, I would go out and, and try to work around other dogs that are calmer, other dogs that are more mutual, other dogs. Uh, sorry, I got muted there, but that's, that's what I would do is I would just go out and, um, <clears throat> you know, I'd be working around these dogs and help your dog make better decisions. Cause the same thing I was telling Christina in the beginning is my dog falls over because he or she has three legs when I correct he or she, therefore it's not working. And again, like we don't want to rely, you know, and, and I feel like I've done a pretty good job with my career and teaching you guys on videos and on podcasts and even here live that I want you guys to be very universal with your dog. I, I, I feel like I've done a good job at, of course, educating you guys on how to use tools properly. But also when you watch me work with dogs, I don't, that's not the only thing I'm utilizing and doing. I'm working on timing. I'm working on my body pressure. I'm working on my reward thing, my rewards. I'm working on how I am communicating with the dog. So there's a lot more to it. Um, but it just takes a skillful handler to be able to blend these things together. But 
my suggestion, Mickey, is we have a podcast called the um, the Leash Reactivity Blueprint. It's in my podcast. I want to say it's episode like one sixty ish, um, ish. Like I no no no. It's no it's no. We're on like one seventies right now. I'm not sure. Somebody will put it in there, but that's a podcast that you can listen to that is really helpful for um, de-escalation and dismantling build. Um, that's my answer. But I mean, you go outside with a gigantic dog that doesn't like other dogs and you have three dogs with the fence barking at you. Um, and you, you know, those are, those are difficult and challenging things in itself. So there's some avoidance, some, some fair avoidance that might come into play. Um, yeah, it is 165. Uh, I knew it was around there. Anyway, Carolyn, Rocco is my two and a half year old chocolate lab. <clears throat> Started as a puppy from the breeder and purchased by a single young lady and then grew too big for the apartment. Then he got handed around a family and during the whole time received zero training. Eventually surrendered to a shelter due to his out of control energy enthusiasm. Makes sense. He has been with the lab rescue foster for one month and is doing great on obedience training. Our big concern in his desire to run away at any opportunity. Fosters keep him on a leash at all times in case he may sneak out the door. We have a block at the back door when he is going out every time. How do we teach this goofus guy to quit running away? Um, he is learning weight and thresholds, but will not stay when a person is actually leaving. So I would be working on the weight and the thresholds in the stay and giving him a lot of space on the long line. So I always say uh, a happy dog doesn't run away, just like a happy person doesn't run away. Why would they? Um, but I also, that's a general statement and it's unfair to say about every dog. I've also seen dogs um, and that, and that, that sometimes is like dogs that like when I was an animal control officer, I would get calls about the same dogs running away and I would never be able to talk to the owners because the owners were never home. So I'd have to put the dogs in the backyard and then find them again. And I remember a couple of cases, there were just dogs that got hit by cars and died. And it was so disheartening because they were just bored. Their owners would literally get up, pee and, the dogs would pee and poop. They put the dogs back inside or they put the dogs in the backyard, they go to work and then they come home and the dogs ran away because they were absolutely bored out of their mind and they died because of it. Um, so I, I guess my point is, is um, you have to give them a little bit of, um, first of all, like mental stimulation is big. So the, the training that this dog is getting is going to be big um, mentally. It's going to bring him down a notch, which is good. Um, uh, but at the same time, uh, my suggestion is to, like, I would be putting him on a long line and whatever training that you're doing. And I would be doing the sit and stays at the threshold, letting him come out, letting him be a dog, sniff around 10 to feet away, 10 to 10 to 15 feet away from you. I'd bring the dog back in. So basically there's like this magnetic pull because dogs are very opportunistic that are like this. They see this little opportunity to run away. And if you basically expose that opportunity constantly and teach them that they can just they go ahead, run away, and then you can catch them at that 15 foot, um, you, have a, you have a good opportunity to really desensitize the dog's window of opportunity to run away. So you open the door, you say, okay, break. 
And the dog is so used to people pouncing on this dog at any moment. It's kind of like the game of catch me if you can. Um, and also the dog probably not being mentally fulfilled. That's a very common thing. If a dog is not mentally fulfilled, then they will run away. And that's what cats do. They just, cats come back, right? It's interesting enough that if a cat is sitting at the door and they want to go outside and we say, okay, fine, go outside and explore and be a cat and hunt from ice and climb trees and go to the neighbor's house and do all these things that cats do. And then they come back that night or the next day or whatever. We don't bat an eyelash. But when dogs do it, it's a complete meltdown, right? But um, realistically, that's what a dog is doing too. They're like, I'm bored. They're just doing it more aggressively and they're doing it uh, probably with the more enthusiasm, you know, because they're a bull in a china shop out there. So they're not walking a fence line that nobody can hear them and jumping up a tree and sitting up there for a little bit. They're very, it's different. So um, yeah, I'd be working on that long line and giving the dog lots of opportunities. Um, and, uh, hopefully that helps. Ooh, excuse me. Okay. Leah Scott. Um, hi, I am beyond struggling. I don't know what beyond struggling is. That's like extra struggling. I have a five-year-old Akita that's intact since a puppy. Yeah. That's how that works. <laughs> Uh, he struggles with separation anxiety and crate training. I have been uh, his. I have been with him and training him. However, six months ago, his world changed. I left my partner and moved into an apartment. He does not like other dogs, so I signed him up for a board and train. So everything I had, but I thought it was worth it to get some help. It did not. <laughs> so I have him home, and he can't be alone. He went through two crates. And uh, we suggest to get a camera to put the e-collar on a high number while he was crate trained and it did not work. I have let him, I have let him their suggestions did not work. And they said to just act like, sorry, I think this is like talk, like speak to text. Um, he did not set off the sensors. He is black and he goes to set up the sensors. I have, but you can hear him. I have struggled so much. I had to quit my job. I really don't know what to do. Friends say give him up, but I can't because he will be euthanized. He has supported me through so much and I want to help him because I know I can do better. Um, okay. Tough spot. Um, you know, Uh, how do I, <clears throat> so whenever I approach these situations, I, I find dog owners to be looking for external fixes when in actuality, it's an internal problem. Okay. What does that mean? That means that the barking, the likely pulling on a leash and out of control all this behavior on the outside is what we hire a dog trainer to say, Hey, fix this or whatever. But the reality is, is it's your relationship that is not only causing these problems, but you'll never see results unless your relationship with the dog gets better. And so he's, he's an intact male, which are more challenging than a neutered male by far. So there's that. 
Um, he struggles with separation anxiety because you just left your partner. Uh, and okay, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and if he's not getting the physical and mental stimulation that he needs, he will never unfortunately get better. So um, what you really need to do, Leah, is you need to, I want you, my suggestion is to understand that this dog needs somebody to reel things in for him. So again, I wouldn't be focusing on the, uh, I mean, the obedience is important, but you really need to get control of this dog. So he understands that you are in control of him and he's not in control of you. And so Leah, if you, And you were to come into my facility, I'd say, okay, I'd say what I say to all my other clients, right? I would say, let me see you work with them. And you'd get him out and he'd go, doom, 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 and, he'd, and he'd go to different corners because he's intact. He would probably pee on all my stuff. And, and, and if, when you ask him to do stuff, he's probably not going to be super engaged with you. He's going to look the other way. You're going to say, Hey buddy, come here. And he's going to be sniffing the ground and you're going to say, sit. And then he's like, do you got anything for me? And you're like, I don't, I forgot the treats in the car. He's going to blow you off. And I'm not saying this for sure. So just take this with a grain of salt. All I'm saying is, is look, this has nothing to do with your dog pulling on the leash and barking and anxiously barking when you, when you leave the house, this is a dog that does not have a, a purpose. This is a dog that doesn't know what else to do. So day in and day out, he's waking up and he's thinking to himself, like, what is he going to do today? He's not thinking like, Hey, I wonder what mom and I can do today. So I'm just saying at scale, um, one thing that is going to be extremely helpful for you is the no bad dog Kickstarter course that I put together. This is a course that was developed for dog owners to not develop these things. So, and I say in that course, and I say in this video that if you came in with all these problems and you wanted to do a six week boarding training and you wanted to hand over $7,500, I would say, look, this is not gonna work if you don't develop a relationship with this dog. Your dog is going to sit and down and heal in place and come when called when leaving here for all of us. The moment you take that leash and walk out that door with that dog, that $7,500 and that six weeks of training we just did with that dog can quite literally go directly down the drain because the dog's training externally, and I know that you've already you know, gone through training and that's probably what happened. And to be fair and play devil's advocate, because I think that's what I think every human should do is, you know, it may not be the training company or whatever. It's just I understand and empathize towards a dog owner that says my dog is out of control. I'm going to hire a professional to help. Totally get that. But at the same time, it's your job to understand, uh, you know, really what your dog needs and your dog, every dog needs training, but what every dog needs more than that is they need an individual in their life that is going to direct them and tell them how to behave. And that's where you see a lot of behavioral problems happening from the lack of control um, at a baseline. My suggestion is 
get the no bad dog Kickstarter course, because if you came in again, and, and let's say you wanted to triple it, let's say you're like, I just took out my life savings. Here's $10,000 for 10 weeks. It wouldn't matter. None of that would matter. It's going to make a dent, but it's not going to be a sustainable dent for you. What, what you have to realize is, and I say it in that course, is I say, I don't care if your dog has a bite history, your dog has killed other dogs, your dog is, you know, running away constantly, your dog is like deemed a bad dog, right? If you can't do the very basics of what's in that course, you can't tackle any behavioral problems that you can bring me or anybody else. If you can't tell your dog to go to a bed and stay on command for more than 15 seconds, there's no training in the world or anybody can do to get your dog from being less anxious at home. Because the problem is your relationship with the dog, your border, like you can't, like, again, it, it kind of comes down with kids too, is you get this kid, think about this, this kid that's out of control. They're, they're in the grocery store, they're knocking everything down off the wall, they're taking the ketchup, they're spraying it all over, they're hitting all the soda like this, they're taking straws, they're spitting things out, they're screaming, and you got to think like, this is very out of control, externally bad behaviors. This kid, and uh, bear with me on this, but this kid is out of control. We are yelling and screaming and peeing on things and throwing things down the aisle. And people come up and say, young man, young, young miss, what are you doing? And they go, Mah! and they walk away and they're just out of control. That is not because the kid learned that that was funny or cool or spraying ketchup all over the floor is something that is rewarded to them. That's because whatever is directly behind that young kid, or in this case, this dog, because dogs are a product of us, pending on breed, that I'm like, where's this person's mom or dad? This is a problem. There's, so there's a good chance that mom or dad isn't going to say, hey, Timmy, knock it off. Because of how externally out of control these individuals are, including dogs, there's not going to be this person that's going to be backboning behind them that says, hey, knock it off. And the kid's going to drop everything you do, run up to mom and dad and stand there and go, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. It's this evolution. And it's this um, incremental build of out of controlness that ultimately unravels these dogs. That's why you see dogs that come in and they're coming in like this. And they say, hey, I'm, I'm here because my dog bit my neighbor. And they come in like this. And I'm like, your dog bit your neighbor because you can't get your dog to even walk for five feet in a heel. You can't get your dog to sit and stay for more than 10 seconds. You can't tell your dog to go to their place and stay there for three seconds. You can't throw a ball across the room and get your dog to stay or take a piece of food and throw it on the ground and get your dog to sit and stay for two seconds. Bear with me on generalization here, but you get the point, right? So that's the thing is you come in, you say, Tom, I'm ready to do everything I possibly can to help my dog. I want you to focus on your relationship, the fundamentals. That's why I put together the Kickstarter program is because if, if you're having any problems with your dog and you can't do the very basics that are in that course, I don't care how dire or how much money you have or how famous you are or what connections you have, it doesn't matter. Unless you can do those basic things your dog is always going to be that out of control dog and there's no amount of money you can throw at it to help. So I know that's a deep dive, but I think a lot of people have this struggle and this problem. And that's why I do what I do is I'm not just going to tell you, you need a better stay. You need a better down. You need a better heal. 
I am a lifestyle, you know, dog professional of the people because I'm one of you guys. And I take in information every day. And I'm telling you, one of the absolutely biggest challenges that any dog owner could ever have with their dog reacting and with their dog being out of control is at a fundamental level, they can't say, hey, come here. And the dog goes, oh, crap. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm in trouble. Right? It's just psychology. They don't have that ability to say, hey, man, you need to sit here and you need to stay. There's no respect. There's no filter. There's no consequences. There's no boundaries. That's why you're getting this external problem. You're the whining, the barking, the howling, the chewing up on things, the boredom. There's just no connection. You guys are roommates. And not to mention, um, Leah, it's a, you, you, yeah, Akitas are no joke, right? They're hard, tough dogs. Uh, the dog is intact. And you just left the relationship with a person for I don't know how long, but that's, you know, that's a change of pace. You moved into a new place. That's a change of pace. You have kind of this card stacked up against you. But my suggestion highly is for you to work on your relationship instead of the, you know, the external problems of the whining. The same thing I told Christina. It's like, my dog whines, my dog chews on stuff. Don't try to worry about how do I fix the whining? How do I fix the chewing? Figure out why these dogs, why, why are these things happening? Why is my dog reactive? Why is my dog chewing? Why does my dog have anxiety? Because of your relationship. Dogs don't have, I mean, genetically they could, but you get the idea. All right, you guys, um, I have some more questions, but I'm going to have to go. I have a five o'clock that I'm already five minutes late for that I was late for last time and I can't do that again. And um, obviously I can talk all night, but um, it's been, this is a great live. It's been great. Uh, I think what I'm going to start doing is I'm going to start recording my lives and put them on the podcast um, for other people to kind of see what's going on in here. So um, thank you so much for listening, watching. Uh, I appreciate you guys. This community has been um you know, overwhelmingly amazing in, in, in times that, uh, you know, we need a good community to lean back on, on just, um, you know, whatever this hat says, right. Built off love. That's just what we do. We're not, we're not in it to be right. We're in it to help. And you guys have that mantra and I appreciate you guys an awful lot. So I'll talk to you guys next week and have a great week. Bye guys. All right, you guys, you've reached the end of the podcast where I'm going to be answering you guys, the listeners, answer quite the questions. So basically this whole podcast is just answering a lot of uh, dog owners' questions, which in my opinion is probably more valuable to you guys than anything else. Maybe not be as entertaining as the podcast with guests, which by the way, we have a special guest coming on Saturday that I'm, I'm so excited about. Um, really excited. So that's going to be coming next week. So yay. All right, you guys, we're going to get down to the first question. First question comes from MD Paz BS. Uh, grateful listener, five-star review, love the podcast and YouTube channel. Tom is very focused, rational, and helpful teacher. Obviously cares a lot about dogs and helping owners communicate or community be better dog leaders. Thank you so much for the work you do. That's just a genuine review. I appreciate that very much. Thank you so much. Next one, Marley Powell. Question for Tom. Hi, Tom. I wrote in about a month ago regarding my my young Malinois, Karma. We were having issues with reactivity in the house around my roommates. Since writing in, I've worked hard to set up training for, for those situations, and she's doing so much better. That's good. Little to no reactivity now. Thank you so much for your advice. It really helped. The issue I was having was my leash corrections. I watched more of your videos and got the pop down. And Carmen now responds very well to corrections, but I'm still having one issue outside and hoping you can help with it. I live in a country setting with a big open backyard and one neighbor that has a, has a fenced-in yard uh, bordering mine. My neighbor has a large mastiff pit mix 
that karma likes to fence fight with about 50% of the time, I'm able to recall karma off the fence and get her back to me where then move further away from the fence and work on the drawback recalls into a heel. The other 50% of the time she's locked in the other dog and uh, I have to physically pull her away. After getting her away from the fence, the other dog comes down for a minute and then I'm able to get karma into a state to be focused on me. Karma will stay and stay focused on me as long as the other dog is calm. The second the other dog starts barking and running the fence, she starts to react. So my question is, is what I'm supposed to do in a situation like this? I know karma can be good around other dogs, but when they react, she reacts. Is there something I can fix with training or do I need to avoid being outside with neighbor's dogs? Um, my, I mean, my realistic lifestyle answer is the remote collar. Because that way you can control what she does and how she does it. Um, because the reality is we can all talk about like, oh, well, you no. The reality is, is if you have another dog that is instigating your dog to fight on the fence, you're going to have a really hard time getting your dog to be calm and getting your dog to be able to enjoy outdoors as well. So you're going to have to use some sort of off-leash control to get, I mean, other than that, just bringing your dog inside and completely avoiding the situation, you know, because, you know, I'd love to say, oh, let, let's get your dog and karma and the dog next door to be friends. That's just not going to happen. You can't control the other dog. So what, so the only thing that's going to help you in this scenario, because you can't control the other variable is to control what you can well, really well. And that's where the e-collar comes in. Um, outside of that, what you can do today is get yourself a leash. And when she goes out and doesn't listen, you know, you can use your leash to enforce things and kind of keep her, make her world smaller. Because I think it's just the nanana boo-boo. Um, I'm over here and you're not. And I think that that's constantly going to aggravate her. And I think it's going to be difficult for you to be successful um, and, and also there's a part of me that would say it's also going to be difficult for the situation to be fair for your dog to be successful in because of the influence of the dog next door that you can't control. So e-collar for sure. Um, that's just fair and realistic. And then outside of that, I would say, um, yeah, yeah, just keeping a leash outside. That way you can regain her focus and her attention on you. That way she doesn't run off and go crazy at the dog again. So that's my answer. All right. And if you guys hear my son crying in two rooms down, he's uh, getting ready for bed right now. And it's uh, it could become a, a fun time in the evening for mom and dad, especially when dad is working and mom's doing everything she can without me. So anyway, we're going to get these done and I'll go play dad. Uh, but yeah, it's been fun having a newborn and, you know, he... <laughs> just been fun you guys know for those of you who have kids kid my my cat's crawling all over me jeez all right yeah you summer and trigger all right five star review episode 169 five stars love the episode as someone who has a dog that does not like strangers sometimes you feel like you're the only one out there nothing makes you feel worse than a vet talking about aggression and he knows he and you know that he's not aggressive but he just likes he doesn't like strangers in, in his space i have a malinois that is similar to hawk he will not go after people he doesn't know, but if a stranger tries to pet him, this will sometimes make him go out of over his threshold. I always tell new people to just hang out with them <clears throat> and don't touch them. Um, but once you're in a circle, you're in. So cool. Another uh, great review. Thank you. Jaber1027. Uh, one of the greatest dog podcasts. The podcast has helped me so much as a first-time shepherd owner. I adopted a lab slash border collie thinking it would be a breeze since I live an active lifestyle and I have plenty of lab experience. Turns out he is half German Shepherd with an LGD hunting breed. This podcast has helped me 
learned so much and led the independent breed uh, to have a happier life. Uh, thumbs up from Nay52. Love hearing Tom share his art with other dog owners so we can all learn and grow. All right, I'm going to end it there. Uh, so thank you guys so much for listening. Remember, if you want me to answer your specific questions, head over to the iTunes review chart um, and leave a review, and I'll answer it next episode. And if you're li- listening to this on, on Spotify, it would mean the world to me if you can also just leave a review and, uh, yeah, you know, kind of get back to the community of the things that we're doing right now and all the work that goes into the podcast just for you guys. We appreciate it a lot, and we'll talk to you next week. Catch you next week. Bye. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.